Yes, finally, something is happening. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today we continue our discussion of the History Channel's 10-hour miniseries, Texas Rising. This is part three, Blood for Blood. But first, what's your favorite book about Texas history? Well, I'll just jump in first. I'll say uh, it's H.W. Brand's Lone Star Nation. I think pound for pound covers uh, so much of the Texas experience and just does it wonderfully. Yeah, it is the best book about the Texas Revolution, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm not a super big history book reader, um, but of all the things that we've read and researching for this show, my favorite so far has been the one... Uh, called Ghost Stories of Texas by Ed Sires. And it really takes the form of a travelogue of this author traveling around the state and talking to people about their ghost stories. Is that the one with the story of El Muerto? I believe that one is in there, yes. Uh, my favorite book about Texas history is the one that actually really spurred my interest in Texas and my love of Texas history. And coincidentally, it also coincided with my love of comic books. And that's a book called Texas History Movies. It was a collection of comic strips that ran in the Dallas Morning News in the 1920s. And it's been in and out of print over the past several years. It's not exactly PC, but it still is a wonderful book. All right. We're going to jump in just like we've done before and start with a recap of hours five and six of Texas Rising. So to begin with, it's a little bit nutty. So just everybody buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. To begin with, Santa Ana and Emily West have a picnic. <laughs> a lovely picnic in the middle of a war. And uh, then we cut to seeing uh, Bigfoot walking and griping and Jack Hayes riding a comically tiny donkey. <laughs> I think this donkey was CGI'd. I swear. <laughs> it looks CGI'd. That's too cute to be a real donkey. Yeah, so Bigfoot, Wallace, and Jack Hayes are perpetually in their buddy. They're still in their, their parallel buddy movie in the Texas Revolution. They're searching for Godot. Searching for, they're searching for their horses. They're... Yeah. Historically incongruous, <laughs> yeah. yeah, buddy movie. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Um, at the same time, or right after that, we see Thomas Jane's character, whose name we forget, um, picking up, going to the homestead that he uh, signed up for in the previous episode. Right from the fake Alsmer engine. Look, I don't need to bother to learn Thomas Jane's character's <laughs> name because Thomas Jane is awesome. Yeah, yes, he, he is. But the house that they get appears to be the cabin from Evil Dead. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> know that good things are going to happen there. Sto Story-wise, it appears that this cabin uh, has some Indian arrowheads embedded in it, and there's nobody that lives there, and it looks as if people suddenly ceased to live there. Yep, but hey, free doll. <laughs> free doll. And there's a puppy. There's a puppy, a very cute puppy. Uh, the next thing is, so we get back to Bigfoot and Jack, uh, Bigfoot Wallace and Jack Hayes, and they have a gunfight in a saloon with single-shot pistols. Don't know how that works, um, but they kill everybody who robbed them in the previous episode, except for two people who still run off with their horses, which is what they're looking for in the first place. Um, so they wound them and one guy gets away. Uh, he's got their horses. He, they find him in the town, uh, where Thomas Jane just bought his land grant from the fake elsewhere engine. And they find that he's dead and elsewhere engine arrests them for murder. So at this point, cut to Ray Liotta's beard. 
and and, he, and Ray Liotta is still attached. Well, he's attached, but let's yeah. just talk about the beard. Yeah. Lorca, the character Lorca, who was somehow a survivor of the Alamo. Now he's become like a one-man engine of destruction. Yes. Um. So Ray Liotta pulls a total Home Alone move, and he drops rattlesnakes in a basket. <laughs> And he's in a tree. He's in a tree with a basket of rattlesnakes. And a Mexican patrol comes by. So uh, he ambushes the Mexican soldiers with rattlesnakes, and he frees some Anglo prisoners. But it turns out they're a wagon train that was uh, scraping east. Yeah, the, the only people, apparently, that are runaway scraping. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, well, they, they say, please protect us from the Comanche in the north or the Mexicans in the south. Either one. Pick. Pick. Just protect us. Please. <laughs> Ray Liotta, please protect us. Uh, he refuses to give his name which is Lorca, but he does say he kills Mexicans. All right, so then you cut back to yet another freaking shower scene, yet another freaking shower scene in the Texan camp. We'll get to this later with the showers. But anyway, Jeremy Davies, who plays Ephraim, who was the scoundrelly, weedy kind of guy. Deserter. Yeah, he was a deserter. And a ranger named Beauregard from Louisiana, who has the most southerny southern accent of all times. He pitches, Beauregard pitches this idea for a bank robbery. I say, I say, son, son we're going to yeah. rob a bank. Might I use your Christian name? Yeah, but here's the thing. It was like, at that point, you're like, okay, are we going to go on another non-historical crazy subplot? Yeah. There, um, we, but but they, there is a bank in Galveston, apparently. Uh, there was an existence. So they talk about robbing a bank in Galveston. And then we see another scene where Ray Liotta and his new uh, army... Um, made up of the prisoners he just rescued in the previous scene, um, ambush another group of Mexican soldiers. Yeah. They are the only ones fighting this war, by the way. And now, then we find out what awful things they did to these soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, it, it turns into an episode of uh, from the movie Saw, because it's a whole bunch of dead, dead soldiers trussed up in a torture porn movie style. <laughs> Uh, courtesy of Ray Liotta's awesome beard. Yeah, he sends them. He sends this wagon load of these trussed up corpses. So, but but the Mexican thinks he's a demon. But Santa Ana knows better and says he's just a man. He is just a man. Um, <laughs> this is another scene where we get to see Sam Houston getting naked and does some uh, Cherokee Indian looking stuff, uh, seeking wisdom from the Great Spirit or something. I don't know. It yeah, looks like looks like. Um, Oh, what was it that I said? It looks like, you know, Native American yoga or something. Yeah. You know, he's chanting and looks like mud all Depp over his the face. Lone Rangers, yeah, he's he's like he's like in a creek bed, covered in mud, naked, chanting something. And Deef Smith comes in and says, "What the hell are you doing?" You know what it made me think of? It made me think of uh, was it Billy? Yeah, Billy and pre- the <laughs> predator. Oh yeah, yeah, or he's yeah. Like, <laughs> You know, no man can kill me. Yeah. Oh, well, the covered in the mud could have been like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Sam Houston covered himself in mud so that Santa Ana couldn't see him with his <laughs> infrared Santa vision. as the predator. Yeah. yeah. So now the, the Rangers pull a hilarious prank on Sam Houston uh, and everybody laughs. Yeah, they, 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 there's a kid who I guess in the first episode they saved from a wagon turned over. His dad was killed or something. He's got a gun and he wants to be in the army and it doesn't work. Pistol. And so they say, well, go see the blacksmith. He's in that tent over there. And, and he said, no, you go tell him. You all go tell him. You need to fix this gun right away. And if you don't, I ride with the rangers and we'll come back and kick your butt and get right to it. And uh, so he comes in, Houston's sleeping. And <laughs> they send him to Houston's tent, basically. And he starts yelling at the general and and Houston fixes his gun, though. So. But, you know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's one of those it's things. It's comic. It was okay. 
on, say, the next part, we get to see the Rangers pick up one of the few um, concrete historical things <laughs> in this show. Uh, they go to pick up the twin cannons yeah, that they, they will have at the Battle of San Jacinto, the twin sisters. Yeah, but then they see there's some Mexicans riding down the road, so they quickly... In like five minutes. Right. They quickly unload these giant bronze cannons and uh, set them up and fire them at the Mexicans and blow them to smithereens. Yeah. And well, there was much rejoicing. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah, no. Sean's so, turning red in the face, yeah. but we're going to so get to it. the next thing, scene is, uh, I guess, you, if you remember from the last episode, if you watched it, Manuel Flores, we called him Juan. We were we were we were incorrect there, so we're going to point okay. out a, a, a error in our in our recap. But instead of Juan Flores, it's Manuel Flores, and he had given her a small pistol to use when she got a chance to shoot Santa Ana. So anyway, um, she's got a gun, and she has this long extended scene where she gives a speech to no one at all um, <laughs> about how she's been cursed with beauty and being a slave and masters and men that take advantage of her and all of these things. And we'll talk about this later. And it's a, she does a great job with it. We love Cynthia to Rob. We love her. We think she's wonderful, but this is totally bonkers. It's called <laughs> monologuing. It's monologuing for no reason. Yeah. We save that for the supervillains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thomas Jane and his family are in their house, and the Comanche attack, and they take super heavy losses at the hand of the Punisher, <laughs> but uh, they no. kill most of the family, then including the one true Punisher. Yeah, it's the worst Punisher story, uh, Punisher origin. And if story you don't ever. agree, you can tweet at me, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 yeah. Well, they there is a they do have a slave. Thomas Jane's character has a slave, and he was out doing something, uh, and he comes he comes back and he. Manages to get the tail end of the the fight, and he stares down this Comanche warrior who actually uh, we saw from the second episode. He was Brendan Fraser's son, Brendan um, Fraser's character's son. Yes, Brendan Fraser's character's Sergeant Anderson, I believe his name was, uh, his son. And he so the slave stares down the warrior, and the warrior runs off, um, and he carries the wife miles, like miles into town. Well, yeah, nothing's close together back right. then. But she's got like a gut wound from a Comanche spear. Yeah, and, and also the one thing that did happen, in addition to the family, they did the Comanche did kill the puppy, and that caused much anguish and gnashing of teeth on the Twitterverse. And and that is definitely something, <laughs> yeah, something we'll worth talk, talking about. We'll talk about that. Uh, uh, so then Santa Anna finds Emily's gun. Um, evidently, she didn't hide it very well, and yells at her. But then he changes his mind and tells her to choose between him and Houston. He's like, "I know you're going to shoot me, but." Maybe we can talk about this and you'll really like me instead of Sam yeah. Houston. You know what? Yeah. Love is complicated. Pick me. Pick me. Yeah, it's very One Tree Hill, that scene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to see the lawnmower man himself, J.F. Fahey, grace the screen as Secretary of War Thomas Rusk, one of Sam Houston's best buds. And he decides to back Sam Houston's play and not fire him, despite all of the outcry and demand from so many people that hate Sam Houston at this point. So now it's been several months of not running away. There's a lot of showering. A lot of showering, yeah. a lot of bathing, rangering, yep. rangering. Rangering. Yeah, rangering enough time for, you know, Thomas Jane's character to get to Texas and plant some crops, enough time for a letter to get to Washington, uh, D.C., and to Andrew Jackson. Um, but yes, finally, suddenly, they're in San Jacinto. They have... Yes, finally, something is happening. Finally, something's happening. So they, they did march, like, overnight, I guess, and got the 300 miles... To San Jacinto, but they did. They find their way to San Jacinto. Uh, yep. And then we get the historically 
somewhat accurate maneuvering battle skirmish that happened before the actual battle of San Jacinto. Right. There's where a- the, the two sides kind of probed each other's lines and mm-hmm. kind of figured out where they were. And, uh, it was typical of warfare in that time period. Right, typical a, of warfare. There's a cannonade. There's a cannonade between the two sides, and then there's a cavalry action at the end. So, so we'll talk about those things. Now. And credits. S- credits. <laughs> and we were exhausted. <laughs> we, we were tired. Felt like felt like we've been running on a treadmill for six hours at this point, <laughs> hitting the six hour mark. I I can't imagine DVRing and binge watching the first three hours. Yeah, I, I, Finally, I can, let off the brake and the car takes off. Phew. Yeah, I so, could I could I could stand on a treadmill and run and act like I'm trying to reach my hands through to through the TV to if get If you these ran buttons. on a treadmill for 6 hours, you'd go farther than these people <laughs> <laughs> scraped in months. Yes. So, uh, let's jump into part 2 of today's show. Let's talk about the egregious errors that make us crazy. So, let's I'm going to point out one. Uh, I was having a conversation with Aaron from the Gun Rights in Texas podcast, who we did a guest show with. The guns and cannons on the show aren't using historically realistic powder. Uh, real black powder from that period would be especially messy. Mm-hmm. There would be tons of smoke. Uh, you know, we could. You know, I mean, it's historically documented that battles at, at this time in Revolution just became completely obscured. You couldn't see anything when you had yeah, hundreds of rounds going off. They'd fire their rifles and fire cannons, yeah. and then they'd kind of just have to wait for the smoke to clear before they could see what happened. For those of you that play real-time strategy games like StarCraft or uh, Warcraft or World of Warcraft, any of those things, um, there's a phrase called the fog of war, and that's what it means. It's the haze of the the smoke from the guns that came mm-hmm. from this. So yeah, the invention of smokeless powder was a huge military yes, innovation, that but, and that wasn't until the turn of the century. But it's, you also have to keep in mind that we're watching a TV show yeah. and the logistics <laughs> yeah, of yeah. having <laughs> of having obscuring smoke across the entire set would be uh, problematic. Yeah, it best. would be a very strange show to watch. It might look like a like a. 80s music video or yeah. something. The, a lot the, of sparks, the a lot of smoke. smoke. The smoke would, ex- would obscure the mountain vistas but, of the coastal <laughs> plain of Texas. But Thomas Jane would have felt quite at yes, home there. Yes, he would yeah, have. Yes. Okay, so it's not realistic, but we're not actually that mad about that one. But still no revolvers. So points to history <laughs> for the history channel for this. Yeah. No revolvers yet. Yeah, and I'd say that's one thing that I did comment on was uh, when... Bigfoot Wallace and Jack Hayes getting that gunfight. I'm like, well, at least that gunfight was somewhat realistic as <laughs> yeah. no one actually got hit by any of the pistol shots and then they were in a knife fight. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the thing is like that's why they had cane swords and bowie knives was because you had one shot, just like we talked about on our bowie episode with the fight, the famous fight on the sandbar. Fight on the sandbar. One shot and then you started swinging at each other. So, well, that brings us to the next point on the, that I think we, we had put in our notes. You know, there's uh, some commentary that was going on around the Twitter about the inaccuracy of the Mexican soldier shooting. So we, 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 that scene, the, the one scene during the, the rattlesnake fight, uh, where Ray Liotta throws the rattlesnakes on the Mexican soldiers, and they shoot at him, and then nobody, no, nothing hits him at all. And it's like, oh, well, these guys must have gone to the Imperial Stormtrooper School of Marksmanship or something. But in fact, the, the actual fact is, is that the rifles that the Mexican army used, that most armies used at that time, were smoothbore muskets. And those muskets, so the, the style of warfare at the time was to get all of your troops in one body, march around, shoot in mass towards your enemy, 
and they would shoot back at you and then charge them with a bayonet. And so it didn't matter if I was aiming at this guy in front of me and Scott was next to me and he was aiming at the guy in front of him. And if our shots crossed, it's okay. These smoothbore muskets were not accurate at all. But that's not what the Texans had. The Texans, some of them did. So like Sidney Sherman's troops, the New Orleans Grays did because they were regular militia in New Orleans who came to Texas. So they had been used to drilling that way. Most of the Texans had what we call the Kentucky rifle, right? And a rifle, you have to fit your, your bullet has grooves on it and you have to fit it into the grooves of your rifle. So it takes longer to reload. The... The rifle, the, the, the shot that expanded to, to fit the grooves wasn't invented for another decade or so. It was invented, but it wasn't used. So they get that right. The Kentucky rifle was most commonly used by the Texans because they were hunting rifles. That's what they had. And another inaccuracy, uh, we mentioned earlier that the Rangers, uh, Houston Special Rangers, went to pick up the twin sister cannons. Well, that's not the way it happened in reality. So they did get the cannons um, on April 11th, um, but we could not find any evidence that they were given names other than just the twin sisters. They call them like Evelyn and Phoebe, or Hannah and Phoebe. Hannah or Evelyn, yeah, something like that. Um, But, you know, they were never, those names were never actually used. Well, the the cannons were, came to, to, Galveston on the same ship as, as, as came from New Orleans with a doctor and two sisters, and they were twin daughters. And they were named Elizabeth and, and Eleanor. And the comment coming when they were unloading these cannon from these ships was, oh, there's two, twin si- two sets of twin sisters on this ship. And that's how they got their nickname. But there's no evidence anywhere um, that they actually, the Texan army called them anything but the twin sisters. So this is the real problem. The naming is kind of minor. I can, yeah. I can accept that as artistic license. But the scene where the Mexican cavalry comes at them and they're like, there's Mexican cavalry coming. Let's let's give them a show. Let's show them what's what we've got, and then in like five minutes they proceed to unload, limber, load and fire an eight hundred pound cannon, and none of them have any experience with this. Yeah, there's maybe all. and there's maybe six of them. There's six of them. Yeah. yeah. So so this was the interesting thing is you said to me, well, that's completely inaccurate. I said, okay. I'm not a cannon expert. Can you explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old? Right. And then you made the point of, historically, it takes 15 trained men to right. operate one of these cannons. They had a company of 30 men to man these two cannon at the Battle of San Jacinto. 15 men, including two men, uh, James Neal, who commanded the Alamo before um, before Travis took over. He left before the battle. And the other one was our friend Ben McCulloch, who was later a ranger. Well, they both were educated men. Ben McCulloch had some training in a militia of firing a cannon. But the thing about firing a cannon is I would not be able to find it, fire a cannon because I'm horrible at math. You had to know about math and trigonometry, about aiming and tra- trajectories. Yeah, you I, also, I, I was pretty impressed the way they, uh, I think Deef Smith just kind of eyeballed it. And yeah, they turned it he, and, he eyeballed it. But the other thing was... You had to know exactly how much grain of how much powder to put in this cannon, or it would explode. <laughs> right. Well, metallurgy was pretty poor at this time. Right. Well, the thing about it was, was a, it was these were brass. These were either brass or bronze cannon. No one's quite sure if they were brass or bronze because um, they had, didn't survive the Civil War. But the reason why you used either brass or bronze was because if if an iron cannon exploded or burst, it would explode into fragments everywhere and kill everyone. A brass or bronze cannon would just crack, like the Liberty Bell. Oh, well, 
fascinating fact. That is very cool. I uh, look. At, I, but um, again, this is an eight hundred pound cannon with another yeah. probably, you know, fifty to eighty pound wheels. So essentially, the, what you're saying is, if if they'd showed up with like a full size concert grand piano on there, yeah. they couldn't have. You couldn't just easily unload that piano and start playing. Yeah, it. you could do it. It would just take you a couple of hours. <laughs> okay, so we're sorry, history, but uh, thanks for the drama. Yeah. Um. You know this, and, and I wouldn't have had as much a problem if they had been like on carriages, like caissons. They were already limbered, being pulled yeah. by so horses. When you say limbered, what does that mean? Well, a limber is just a fancy word for like the wheels and the frame that yeah, the, the cannons the mounted carriage, to. The mounting, yeah. yeah. So the, in the scene, that both of these cannon are are completely disassembled and they're on top of a wagon, and so like it doesn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, here's something that bugged me from the beginning because you know we've done several episodes on the on the Rangers and stuff, and uh, it, it bugged me. It bugged me. It bugged me. I looked. I was like, this does not feel right. And then I realized, oh, I know why. Because Bigfoot Wallace was never in Texas at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was not there at the time of the revolution. He came to Texas after the revolution. After he found out that his brother was killed at Goliad. Yeah, he came to settle the score. When he found out when he was in America that his brother had been killed in Texas. So and it was in a later interview with him when he said that, yeah, I think I'd done all right. Yeah. <laughs> it was, he, didn't, he didn't get to Texas until 1837. Yeah, so he missed the whole show. Right. But thanks for putting him right. in. Jack. He's in a, now, I'll say this. Like, I do appreciate that the History Channel says this is an important character of Texas history and we want people to know who Bigfoot Wallace is and we think it's interesting. But we're also like... Because he wasn't actually involved in any of the events of the Alamo, they have him, you know, it's like Ishtar or something, is wandering around the desert <laughs> of Texas. Yeah. The yeah. deserts of South Texas, he's wandering around with this tiny donkey and Jack Hayes. Yeah, Jack and Jack Hayes uh, came to Texas right at the very tail end. He didn't. He missed the San Jacinto. Uh, he did, was part of the group that discovered the bodies at Goliad with Thomas Rusk, who was in command of the army after Houston got wounded. Um, and then the whole scene where they're tied up at this town square and then the Comanche are coming and like the, the impresario Buckley wants them to help fight the Comanche is just, it, again, it's, it's a subplot that's going nowhere. I don't understand what they're trying to say or do. It's just time filler. And if you want to find out more about the events that Bigfoot Wallace was actually a part of, you can listen to one of our earlier shows about the Mir Expedition mm-hmm. and the Black Bean Incident. He was involved in that whole story. Also, our Texas Ranger series that we did yes. two episodes on the Texas Ranger. We talked about Jack Hayes and yeah. Bigfoot. So he is important, but he just isn't here yet. Let's talk about the, the giant elephant in the room. And we've hinted at this and talked about this. Yeah, even bigger than the ge- geography. Even bigger than geography is a timeline issue. Yeah. And also like a motivation issue. <laughs> Nobody... Nobody is in a rush to destroy anybody. Yeah. People are having picnics. No, no, no. You're wrong. Lorca is in a rush. Ray Liotta's oh. beard is in a Ray total Liotta rush is the only everyone. person with any hustle and drive in this, in this <laughs> show. No, here's the thing. The and I don't understand thematically why History Channel's doing this. The The Great Scrape is about it's a chase movie. And all the best, I mean, look, the new Mad Max film is just essentially one long chase movie, <laughs> and it's riveting. This was essentially a chase film, like, the, you know, what I, you know, I was even, I was running these numbers with, with Sean the other day, like, I mean, they burned, I mean, the Alamo happened, they burned Gonzalez down to the ground right after that, four days later, and then they, they hit the road, 
and they didn't stop moving. I mean, the goal... They, they, they did stop. They stopped occasionally, yeah, but they when they did, got across the river and they thought, okay, this is a good spot. We can maybe uh, maybe we can regroup and see what's going <laughs> yeah. on. And they had scouts. They had all this. They were trying to track each other. And Santa Ana was sending out scouts to try to find the Texans. And there was all this interaction that happened. None of that's captured here. There's a lot of like talking and bathing and, and rangering like, and, and, and rangering. rangering and bathing. <laughs> but but there's you know they they hinted at it because they had the whole speech with Andrew Jackson where he said well. If he can trick old Santa Ana to cross over the Sabine, and then he'll be in U.S. territory, and then and then his you know he's mine, and that was sort of what they were yeah. hinting at. Yeah, yeah. It's like basically if Sam Houston can trick him to cross into the United States, then we can defend ourselves. But but Santa Ana wasn't dumb. He wasn't going to do that either. But his his goal was he was to but he was trying to catch him and, and get them. There's all this. If you read the re- and we talked about this in previous episodes. This is the crux of the story of the runaway scrape is that they're running away and it's a narrow scrape. They, yeah, it's they're the Alamo's wiped out. Santa Ana's coming. Let's run. We've got to get away. We're not ready to fight him yet. We have to find some way to succeed here. And it's it's a there's like a countdown timer, right? It's like Santa either Santa Ana's going to catch us or all of our troops all of our army militia guys are just gonna bail because and yeah. they're not burning anything either like they burned the towns they burned, yeah, they burned everything San, they burned, so they that, burned austin's town of san felipe so that when santa Ana could not get any extra supplies he only had the supplies he carried and those historically we know that by the time they reached san jacinto the mexican army was haggard and tired and they were they'd been marched hard there was no and split off and, split off and no supplies and they were beat up that is not what they look yeah, like. That's not what's happening in this show. No, I mean, and that's what is driving me crazy about the, the we, we harp on the bathing scenes, but I think it's emblematic of the problem of the timeline. They have these, there's several scenes where there's these <laughs> field showers that yeah. the Texans it, use. Yeah, it's, the big like, like water towers with the It, it really is like they had, we had, listen, we have all this extra stuff for mash <laughs> yeah. just sitting in a warehouse out yeah. in like California. Can we ship and, it down to you? And never mind the historical fact that like, in the American Civil War, bathing in tubs or in rivers was a luxury that that troops didn't have, that well-supplied troops didn't really have. 30 years later, field showers did not even get invented or used, as far as I know. Maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong and show me where in the American Revolution they had field showers. But <laughs> for the most part, field showers, the earliest probably they would have been used would be maybe, maybe the turn of the century with the Spanish-American War. This felt a lot it's, like... But, but the point is, is it's not only just the historical inaccuracy of field showers. They could be sitting in rivers and bathing and stuff, which a couple of scenes they are. It's the, the leisurely... They had time to construct... A, these tanks of water they had trying yeah. to construct these semi-permanent structure, structures yeah. right that's the problem that i have is there's there's no movement until like three quarters of the way through the third episode <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden it's urgent and things start to happen it's urgent right. and we're and, and then and then we're there we're at the so you missed like i just feel like that that was a big piece that was missed um uh well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, you want to take you take this one. Yeah, and then say, and so they finally get moving, yeah. and by the end of the episode, they're at what will become the San Jacinto Battlefield, and um, the actual territory is kind of a coastal swampland. 
Um, in this show, it looks more like a golf course. Yeah, like a like a, like a, a well golf, manicured like a golf well course manicured. in Fredericksburg. <laughs> yeah. the, the official tweet from our official show was, "Well, the San Jacinto Monument looks like a par five with a dog leg left. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like they just put the little stick out of the hole and they said, "Yeah, it's perfect." The whole thing Shoot is it. like it was. Somebody tweeted is like, Texas doesn't have any swamps. This was a swamp. It was a they swamp. It's a, a historical swamp. swamp. If you yeah. go there today, if you walk on the ground of the San Jacinto battlefield, it kind of sinks when you walk because it's marshy. Listen, I watched five hours of this miniseries. Texas is essentially a desert with a lot of mountains and a bunch of stupid cactus that doesn't grow anywhere. Except Nacogdoches, which is a plain, <laughs> which is a prairie with buffalo. Well, at least uh, the homestead, Thomas James Homestead, was in the Piney Woods. Except that, except that the town that they were in is, I think, essentially like south of, like around Goliath. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It, but at least there was trees. It showed that there yeah. were trees in Texas. You feel a bit like, I feel watching it sometimes, the geography and keeping track of where things are just from the visual cues. Like I've been spun around really quickly, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like pin well, the tail and donkey. And, and it made me wonder. I was like, okay, it. The geography is not getting any better. I was thinking maybe by the time they get to San Jacinto, at least yeah. they'll treat that with the historical accuracy of like, we're trying to recreate this battle. Let's make the terrain as close to the real thing as possible. No. And yeah. it reminded there's some me. Trees. There's yeah, some, there's trees. some trees. But yeah. it reminded me of our discussion way back when we talked about Sugarland Express <laughs> and how awful the geography is yeah. in that movie. Um, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know what? I guess when they make movies, they just cannot get Texas yeah. geography correct. I think, I think Texas in Hollywood world. Uh, is you know Houston Sugarland, which is near Houston, is on the Rio Grande. So you know, I guess it's okay. It's it's everything's right next to each other. Just like you can drive to Dallas in like an hour from Houston. Bonus tip: It's at Texas Podcast. If you are in Hollywood and you're making a movie about Texas, then why don't you just shoot us a tweet? Give us a call. <laughs> drop us a line on our contact page because we'll be happy to just pro bono. Take a gander at your script, take a look at where you're planning to shoot, and we yeah. can tell you how horribly wrong you are, Hollywood. Yeah. Um, one thing we also talked about, um, when, to go back a little bit, we did. there was a scene right before the battle where, where they are actually, the one scene where the Texas Army's marching, and they come to a crossroads, and they, one way goes to Harrisburg, which is Houston now, one way goes to Nacogdoches, to the Sabine River, Nacogdoches, and the men... And Houston, the men are like, well, you don't want to go any further. And Houston comes and says, well, you choose. And, and, uh, and, and you, can go to, you can go to the safety of the Sabine or you can, go, you can go this way towards Santa Ana. And they choose to go to Santa Ana. That scene sort of happened. They did come to a crossroads. It's near Waller, which is where our friend Laura is from. Um, it's a little farm in Waller, and there's a historical marker there. But what really happened was the first group of people of troops that got there just turned towards her towards Harrisburg. So if Houston wanted to go with his army, he went with his army. Yeah. And again, it was it's the reality of the situation was Houston was on a timer and it's on against working against the clock right. to find the field of battle of his choosing and to mm-hmm. prevent his men from deserting right. and yeah. And, running away. and his real battle of his choosing and, and some of his diary and stuff indicates and in letters he really probably did want to get them close to the Sabine River yeah. so that the American troops would come. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the thing is, is like if if there is a hope that he had, it was this. And it was not something, again, 
a chase movie would have been great because it would have been like, we're on the run, we're on the chase, where's salvation? We just have to make it to pass this river mm-hmm. and we can't make it past this river. We have to make a stand here and roll the dice and right. see if we win the day. And that right there gives me chills. That's the that's the whole movie right. that it should have been. And where and where history really happened was that where the Rangers really benef- came in was the Rangers as well as Santos Benavides were scouting and they did see that Santa Ana had basically split off his army into portions and suddenly Santa Ana was heading towards Harrisburg and heading towards what would be the the Buffalo Bayou the Sabine uh, the San Jacinto battlefield today. He was heading there with a smaller army than Houston had, and that was the ammunition that Houston needed, the intelligence that he needed. He was going to the wrong place and backing himself into a corner with fewer men than Houston had. So, again, it was the battlefield of his choosing. If they'd shown that, they would have been totally historically accurate, and it would have been exciting and thrilling. (laughs) And Let's, hey, History Channel, let's shoot this next year. Yeah, and one more thing that was inaccurate was they're flying the wrong flag in the battle of san jacinto the flag they have was uh what was it, was it liberty or death is no, that the one they, uh, they do have one that's liberty or death they also have the blue field with the white star and the word texas around it which that's wasn't right. in, uh, adopted until over a year later right um the the actual texas flag that they flew at san jacinto um features a woman with a sword and a banner that says liberty or death right and um, it and that's what's in hangs in the uh i believe it hangs above the Speaker of the House of this Texas State Representative. I believe right? you're right. And we'll put a link in the show notes yeah. so you can see it. And also we posted it on our Twitter feed. So, all right. So those were the egregious errors. Yeah. Now, I'm going to make one addendum to my statement about Hollywood and movies. This October, coming to the screen, is a new film called My All-American. And it's made by Angelo Pizzo. And he is the screenwriter for Rudy, which... Maybe you haven't heard of it. It's a football movie. Makes grown men cry like babies. Uh, And it's the story, the true story, of University of Texas football player Freddie Steinmark, who was an All-American in the 60s. um, And uh, then he, he, spoiler, he dies of cancer. But it's one of those kind of really gripping, great sports movies. But it's going to be set in Texas at the University of Texas. So I can see us all going to the movies and talking a little historical accuracy this fall. So a little preview of what's coming. Let's jump to part three, guys. Now, we've been beating up on the poor History Channel about this show. Let's talk about the good stuff you got right. And uh, I'm going to open. Kudos to Jonathan Skaich. You know, he tweeted at us. And so it's like, ooh, a Hollywood movie star tweeted at us. He he plays Sidney Sherman. He plays Sidney Sherman. Uh, So we really do like his work on this show. Um, and a side note, have you seen that guy's Instagram? Because I mean, he's, he's totally yoked. It's got like pictures of him working out with big celebrity guys, but he's, he's in pretty great shape. Um, the cavalry battle that, uh, Sherman initiated really did almost ruin Houston's plans. Um, a general pitched battle between Houston's men and Santa Ana's regulars would not have gone very well at that time, most likely. But, uh, as it were, the Mexican Lancers performed very well against the Texas cavalry in the skirmish. Sherman, uh, though they showed him in the show getting on a horse, he wasn't actually the guy that got on a horse. It was actually Thomas Rusk. And yeah, he had ridden out to try to kind of take control of the battle. Right. But uh, that's where Mirabeau Lamar showed up and, and saved his bacon. Um, you know, they make these guys look... Buffoonish. Buffoonish and cowards. I will say this. The real Sherman was not a coward. Uh, 
you know, we talked about them having a lot of like attitude and kind of being a little blowhardy. But uh, there's actually a town, Sherman, Texas, just north of us here in Dallas, all the way to Oklahoma, and uh, it's named for him. Right, and Crispin Glover plays his 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 partner in crime, his his colleague uh, Mosley, and Mosley was very brave as well. He was wounded at San Jacinto the next day. Uh, in history, he I tried to get Houston impeached. The day after he was elected, <laughs> uh, he really did hate uh, Houston, but um, he is, he's played, they're both played very blowhardy and right. But, uh, and the interesting thing about Sherman was, I didn't know this. He was from Boston. He was not a Southerner. He was from Boston. He came, he lived in Kentucky and then came to Texas, but, but he was, they, they were, they were true heroes. They just, they were way, way, way over enthusiastic about thinking that they were just going to whip the Mexicans. And that, that fight at the end of the day, it did have the benefit. The the one thing it had the benefit of doing was it basically kind of showed it, it lulled Santa Ana into thinking, "Oh, we've I've got this. We've got these people. We 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 cannon. We, you know, we shot cannon at them. Uh, we we fought them in this cavalry. We'll we'll wipe them out tomorrow." Yeah, and so that's another thing that they got right in Texas Rising was mm-hmm. the exchange of cannon fire between the Texan and Mexican camps. Yeah, on the, in the morning, um, where they just fire their cannons at each other, I guess, kind of just get a feel for, figure out where each other's cannons were. Right. Yeah. And it confirmed for Santa Annie. It's like, oh, they've got cannons. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't concerned about it. And also, there's no. probably a good 15 to 30 men over there firing that cannon. Right. Not <laughs> not six now, guys. Now, there was not, to my knowledge, that they didn't, Santa Ana wasn't in the front line of the Mexican forces in Houston in the front line, 30 yards away, pistol shot away from each other, staring each other down. Yeah. Uh, that scene happened in the movie, but probably didn't happen in well, life. Well, a, a modern pistol shot. I don't know about it. <laughs> Period appropriate pistol shot. Well, now, lest you think, though, and maybe I'll just interject this when you talk about Santa Ana being in the front lines, you know, I think he gets a little bit of short shrift, um, from Texas history in general. Yes. And he also, in this show, you know, they've done a little better job, I think, than he's not a mustache-twirling villain, you know. Like, yeah. they've, they've tried to show the, a little bit of depth. I mean, beyond, yeah. of course, the cockfighting and the picnics and the... <laughs> and the opium. <laughs> the opium. Lots of opium. Opium smoking, elaborate tents. I, I look... Bathing. I, lots of bathing in yes. candles. Uh, love the candles. The candle budget was out of control. Uh so if, if but I think it's worth your time to go back and really look at this man because we we we're taught as Texans growing up that you know he's essentially Darth Vader but he's really a complicated mm-hmm. person um, and also quite brave like mm-hmm. he was grievously wounded after this many years later um, the cannonball shot took the cannonball his leg. shot took his leg he still continued you know he he was a rough and tough fellow who was he was charming he was classy but he was a, he was not a coward and he was not. He was ruthless. He was very ruthless, but but he uh, wasn't. He wasn't cruel. He was just. That's just who how yeah. how business was done at that time. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there, yeah, we did two episodes a couple of, uh, last yeah, year. Please they check were fantastic. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Thomas Jane. Let's talk about the Thomas Jane scene. Well, okay, so we've seen him defeat sharks. Intelligent killer sharks. <laughs> this in is movies. Thomas Jane. Thomas yeah. Jane. I've seen him defeat all manner yeah. of villains. So, the Comanche attack on the homestead on Thomas Jane's homestead is actually relatively accurate mm-hmm. in the way it occurred. The Comanche would come in if they wanted something, they would come in and they would take it. Now, generally, they would be content with just taking horses and cattle, I suppose. Um, at, but at this point, yeah. But occasionally, when a fight happened, they would just be super brutal. Women, children, puppies. They were all 
Yeah, fair game. although though usually they didn't kill the children. There's lots of stories of you know. Well, I mean, I've, the the Cynthia Parker story happened right after the Texas Revolution when they attacked Fort Parker. They killed all the men and the women that were there, but they took the they took the children. Right. Um, they, they, and more than likely, yeah, they were going to kill the dog, but they probably were going to take the dog and eat it later because the dog is a good meal. I'm I, sorry. I wouldn't is. know. It's I a good meal. <laughs> I don't know what they eat where you're from, Sean, but uh, we got Whataburger here. But now. also a dog, a, a puppy probably can be, they use dogs a lot for work animals. Yeah. Um, so they probably wouldn't have just it was, arrowed down the I dog. I think this is again, so we, a case so, of the History Channel is just... Yeah. trying to drum so, it up so when you said it was pretty accurate what you really meant was it's not very accurate at all no what i mean is it like it showed i thought it, i felt it showed the brutality of a, a comanche raid very well because they did there were they did kill lots of people and but and it, was, it was so sudden and fast and violent it was think, a very violent scene i think there, yeah and i think the thing is they were saying is like it was it would be hard for them in a narrative fashion to go and say Let's spend an hour and a half of the first beginning of the show showing what is life like for Texas Anglo settlers in Texas and what they're dealing with on a daily basis. So I think they're trying to weave in this so they can yeah. say, you lived on the frontier, you were under constant threat of Indians attack, you had to deal with um, a changing and unstable Mexican government, you had to deal with all of these political issues, and also you had to scrape out a living as a farmer or a rancher or whatever you were doing. And I, I just didn't feel like it was needed. But it, it wasn't. But what I did like was when he pulled the spear out of his wife there and then threw it into the other attacking Comanche. I mean, it. it but if you really and look, we talked about this movie before and it happens in Texas. Outlaw Josie Wales, which is set obviously 30, 35 years after this and the events of this happening. But there's that great interaction of like sort of how they portray the Comanche in that movie is they're. Mm-hmm. Proud warriors, they're very ruthless, but they they you know they they kind of crafted that whole scene with Clint Eastwood and yeah. uh, and that guy. That I was like, okay, this is great. Yeah. So I guess it this did, felt like a serial western. Yeah. Well, I ways. guess this did really show the brutality of the raids and the fact that they weren't yeah. robberies; they were raids. Yeah. the The only problem that I have again is is that it felt stock. This whole storyline feels stock, and it's it. Things things were f- somewhat quiet on the frontier because mostly because everybody left. <laughs> a lot of people left the frontier line. Well, yeah, and that's what we talked about earlier. The whole runaway scrape was right. not just the army running; it was right. the entire population of right. Texas, more but, or less. But the, the the Fort Parker massacre and Cynthia Parker being kidnapped, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Uh, it happened in like May of eighteen thirty six, so it was happening at this time. So I can understand. I just don't know what it adds to the narrative, other than to piss off social media at the killing of a puppy. Well, I'd like to know where it's <laughs> going to go because at this point, we've seen the wife survive. Yes, and she's in the town, and so her story is now intersecting with Bigfoot and Jack Hayes. And yeah. and interestingly enough, because everybody apparently lives in this one town in Texas, Deef Smith's wife. Yeah. So maybe. What we saw then is rather than the worst Punisher origin story ever is the best Punisher best origin story ever. Lady in his Punisher, Lady Punisher, Lady oh, Texas Punisher, Mrs. Punisher. So, okay. So speaking of social media, because we talk about how Twitter went crazy with people going nuts about the dog, the puppy getting killed. R.I.P. Puppy. Yeah, poor puppy. Uh, there's another scene that people went nuts about. There's a scene early uh, in the episode where they're talking about the bank robbery, and Beauregard and Ephraim are. Uh, trying to recruit people into the bank robbery and tell one of the guys, and he says no, and 
and then they ask him if he's gonna tell uh, Deef Smith about about it, and he says, "I ain't no snitch." Yeah, and social media went bonkers. Yeah, people on Twitter were like, "Oh, that's not a word that they would have used," and yeah. all that. And turns out, uh, we looked on the the Dictionary of American Slang, the Dictionary of British Slang, and uh, this word has been in use. Snitch has been used as a word for informant or informer since 1780s. Yeah, late 1700s. So in episode one, they actually used the phrase "okie dokie," uh, and it turns out that that is totally historically inaccurate <laughs> yeah. because that was part of uh, didn't come into popular use until Martin Van Buren was running for president. Well, actually, "okie dokie" didn't become popular until 1930s. Yeah, uh, right. I'm sorry, "okie dokie" 1930s. Okay, okay, which is derived from didn't well, come around yeah. until. And so Martin Van Buren was the president after Andrew Jackson. He was from Kinderhook, New York, and his campaign slogan in the 1839 18. 18- 40 campaign was Martin Van Buren is okay for old Kinderhook. He's old Kinderhook. So that's totally wrong. And it, it's the problem. I think we talked about this is the inconsistency with vernacular. Yeah. It's like the clearly someone at some point in this process, one of the writers, a researcher of some sort um, made an effort to use these historically accurate words and terms. They use the word poltroon. Um, they use the phrase, might I use your Christian name, which was a, you know, contemporary appropriate way to address someone to ask if you can use their given name. It's a polite thing to do. Um, so kudos to them for using snitch appropriately, but it's frustrating how inconsistent they are. Yeah. Well, it's like a, a, a friend of mine from Maine who's a kind of history fan was talking about this show and he says, you know, why can't it just be like Deadwood? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last note of things you got right. You guys did a great job casting because mm-hmm. we really do like the performances of the actors. We think they have great, great looks and character and charisma. But man, you guys failed seventh grade Texas history. Yeah. It's like a great cast has been given. I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw the, the writers under the bus of this show and the producers. A great cast has been given a horrible, horrible script and screenplay to work with and a, and a, and a wrong story. It's just historically inaccurate. Right. And now, it's an interest. It would be different if it wasn't a good story, but it's not. It's a great right. story. And, and kudos to, to Bill Paxton for really being supportive of this project and being enthusiastic about it. And I just wish he had been given better material to work with. Absolutely. And, well, this was our opinion. And our opinions are kind of backed up by these things we call history books and facts. But all, let's talk about some second opinions. And these are some things that we pulled off of social media and some notes that we got. So up first from at Gun Rights in Texas said, uh, I have yet to hear Remember Goliad on hashtag Texas Rising. Yes, there was a Remember the Alamo at Goliad, which was not historically accurate. accurate but we have yet to hear anyone say goliad remember the actual phrase that they used in battle was remember the alamo remember goliad so i'm looking forward to the actual san Jacinto yeah. battle of san Jacinto to see if they use that battle cry if appropriately they if they don't say it i'm gonna call shenanigans <laughs> okay so chad mm murray which is chad michael murray's twitter handle uh he plays mirabeau lamar i think he was on one tree hill wasn't he mm-hmm. oh okay well there see my social media knowledge is my cultural knowledge is expanded anyway he tweeted loving hashtag texas rising now right now lorca is loco houston is hustling and i'm entertained at history all those are true by the way like (laughs) those are all true facts like yeah um and from james amundsen he says 
It's official. Et Ray Liotta is the most badass character on history Texas Rising. Hashtag Lorca wins the war. Hashtag Texas Rising. <laughs> I, I think he is. I mean, I think he's a... He's, he's the only one fighting. He's the only one fighting. You know, Lorca, <laughs> he's the only one exercising any sense of urgency, so perhaps yeah. he'll win by default. I know. he. Uh, our good friend Paul Schmel, who helps us out, said, holding my breath while watching Texas Rising. Who was the historian for this farce? Fire him now. Oh, wait, it's too late. At Texas Podcast. Thanks right. for the shout out, Paul. Right, and we talked about this, and Scott, you watched the documentary. Yeah, there's the that preview documentary called... Um, Avenging the Alamo, the road right. to Texas Rising, and like all of the historical, that's what makes this extra frustrating for me is all of the good historical information <laughs> was apparently put into that show, yeah, which was well produced. I yeah. thought it had interviews with the actors and them talking about yeah. how much they enjoyed the role and how meaty the story is, and then you watch the show and it's just not there. So, so the impression that I get is that like they got tired of hearing these history people. Their heads explode, and yeah, so they just so, like shunted them off. So go to make it, go make a documentary. So I, I don't know if that was produced by a complete. Obviously, it was produced by a completely different set of people, right? Because it was basically the setup to the miniseries, right? Is like this right. is the history up to this point, and kind of teasers for what's going to be in the miniseries. So I, you know, I don't want to beat them up too much, but now nah, go ahead. <laughs> there's a good show there, and I hope that you've been able to track that down and find yeah. it. I. It may be somewhere on their website. I tried to find a link to it, but track it down. So there was a tweet that went out from Sandy S1229, and she basically said, Texas Rising, and gave a bunch of thumbs up and said, my Texas hubby enjoys sitting with me, watching and saying things like, yep, that happened. She says, hmm, was that filmed in Texas? Question mark. And we responded and say, actually, no, it was filmed in Mexico. (laughs) And also, there's a lot of things that are inconsistent. Please listen to our show. And uh, we had a nice Twitter conversation. So I think we've set her and her husband on the path of knowledge. So uh, now there's uh, at TV with Casey, Casey Taylor. And TV with Casey says, really? Hashtag Texas Rising. You had to kill the puppy, too. Hashtag harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not probably not all historically accurate, but no. Uh, but yeah, you know, let's get dramatic. All right. Then we have another tweet from Kevin Glennon, dear producers of Texas Rising. We can't read your gold subtitles. Please add some drop shadow or a producer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hashtag history. Yeah. Yeah. Not gonna argue with that. Hard to read. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe they were trying to obscure the fact that the Alamo fell on March 7th, (laughs) according to their timeline. Well, Gary P. Jackson said on Twitter, Dear History, the Battle of San Jacinto took 18 GD minutes. Santa Ana ran and hid and was later found dressed as a peon. And he uses a lot of capitalization in this. Yeah. So that that's true. And we have yet to actually see the actual Battle of San Jacinto. So... Consider that a pre-opinion of how they're going to handle this battle. We're we're in what military historians would call the San Jacinto campaign. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, like I said, I think it'll be great to see Santa Ana and Sam Houston battling with hand axes in a mountain pass. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for the dinosaurs to show up. Okay. Uh, Also, we want to note, there is a really good article. uh, There's two really good articles. One on Texas Monthly. about the show and how it is historically inaccurate, but they take the tack that it's actually an entertaining show. There's another good article on the cron.com, uh, which is Houston uh, Chronicle website, uh, 
and they have 10 things Texas, Texas Rising gets wrong. And we, and we, we check, I check through each one of them, and it's things that we've already talked about. And additionally, you go to Reddit at r slash Texas History, and uh, we've started a thread in there where we're compiling a lot of these notes <laughs> yeah. in there as kind of a running thread for people. Yeah. So in the end, um, the third episode of Texas Rising was about what we expected, right? I mean, there weren't any yeah. real surprises as far as they didn't suddenly get the geography right. They mm-hmm. didn't suddenly cut yeah. out all of the extraneous characters. We didn't all of a sudden have Sam Houston meet up with all of the Tejano volunteers that were also fighting alongside <laughs> the Anglo-Texans. Yeah. You know, um, They're that, just that's out of camera shot. They're just yeah. out of camera shot. <laughs> but, you know, and when you boil it down, it has been entertaining. It's been entertaining. I... I really, I know there was a couple of months ago when they were in production and there was a big story about how the History Channel liked what they'd seen so far and gave them two more hours. And I'm wondering if that was a mistake, (laughs) that if they had just, limits are good, like limits are actually useful. So if they had limited it to an eight hour miniseries or even like a six hour miniseries and made a really tight story and didn't have... Didn't have the 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 stuff with Thomas Jane as much as I love Thomas Jane. Didn't have the stuff with Thomas Jane. Didn't have the stuff with um with, with big big Bigfoot foot and, and the boy and or whatever. Bigfoot and Jack, and didn't have so much of the stuff with the Rangers, and just made it a real tight story of Santa Anna over here chasing and Houston running, and there and and you can still have. I'm fine with the Emily West thing with that's creative license and everything, but at least she's a good actress. It's a, it, it, the the scenes between Santa Anna and Emily are great. The scenes between Houston and Emily are good. If that's fine, if you want to make that your narrative crux, I would be fine with that story. But it's the extra stuff that really bothers me. Yeah. So, like I said, that's episode three. Yep. We'll be back next week with our recap and commentary on the next episode. Yep. And, and then we'll be, we'll be live tweeting as the show airs. So yep. if you listen to this on Monday, when it drops in the morning tune in tonight, we'll tune in there. tonight. If not, if you listen to it later or, and watch the show later, you can follow us at Texas podcast and see our live tweets of the show. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like, and share us on Facebook, Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you'd like to financially support the show, please go to patreon.com slash Texas Podcast. And a big shout out to one of our new patrons, Texas Dry Carpet Cleaning. Thanks for your support. If you'd like to follow us individually, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love this show, and we know you love Texas. So tell everyone you know to listen to the show, subscribe, and please leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway. anyway.